0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Please um, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24 is where we are today, and our sermon title um, is uh, The Integrity of David. The Integrity of David. So just as we begin, a couple of questions for you. We think of that word. Obviously, integrity is where we're going today. Um, what does integrity uh, mean to you? How would you define integrity? The second question I want to ask you um, is: Integrity important to you? Just be honest right now. You're here. You know, God knows everything, sees your hearts, whatever. Walking in here today, would you is integrity something you be thinking about? Is that something that you would value? Would you be able to define what it is? And as you answer those questions, please know this truth. Um, Um, Please know how much integrity matters to God. Uh, God cares so much about integrity in the lives of the men and women that He has regenerated, that He has saved, that He has caused to be born um, again. Uh, One of the ways we know this for sure, um, the greatest sermon ever given, do you know what it was? The greatest sermon ever given was... Um, yes, it wasn't last week's sermon, I can promise you that, all right? Uh, the greatest sermon ever given was the Sermon on the Mount, and of course, that was given by, <coughs> yes, Jesus, that's right, just like good, good children in Sunday school, every answer is, ends with Jesus, right? But Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Now, remember how the Sermon of the Mount began. The greatest sermon ever, okay? Uh, Jesus is giving it, and the Sermon on the Mount begins with this, um, with this string of characteristics called the... Beatitudes, yes, the Beatitudes are the blessings of God, or blessed are those, happy are those. And God begins to unpack, Jesus begins to unpack being God on earth on um, the reality of who God works in. Blessed are the pure in heart, blessed you know, are those who trust me, blessed are those, it just goes on, it's awesome. And every listing of these, poor in spirit, whatever, all of these lists, if you think about it, they're all uh, dripping with character. God begins the most important sermon ever given with a list of character, the men and women, the substance of the people that God works within. All of those, you could say, too, are filled with integrity in themselves. us are those who are persecuted. Integrity is, is everywhere within that. God cares so much about integrity. And in many ways, that's how God defines it for us within his word as well, but I just want to gather a few different points of input on integrity here. So let's just see how the dictionary defines integrity right now. Integrity, and this can be helpful on some level. Um, adherence to moral and ethical principles. Yes, I like this part. Soundness of moral character. The person of integrity has a sound, there's a healthy sense of moral character. And notice the word that the dictionary, this is good because it's very biblical. Um, honesty. Honesty, why honesty? Well, honesty is authenticity, honesty is purity, honesty is sincerity, honesty is humility, honesty is integrity. And all these things are kind of wrapped around this idea of how important integrity is to God. So simply put, then, the man or woman after God's own heart must be a man or woman that loves about integrity. There's no way you can divide those two. You're truly after God's heart, then you are a man or woman after integrity as well. I remember when I was a brand new believer, I was fascinated with integrity. I talked about it so much. Some of my friends used to call me, um, they kind of used to mock me. and They said, you know, they call me Captain I, Captain Integrity. Not because I was, but because I talked about it so much. I think it was because um, my contrast of my life before Christ was so lacking in integrity, and then you come to Christ and you see everything that's going on, and you're like, "Wow! Like this life can be lived in this way. Like we can actually live a life in the pursuit of Christ, where He's working in me and and taking away my sin and 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 transformation is just it fascinated me. So I opened up God's Word for the really the first time. I grew up with God's Word, but I didn't know it. I was dead. I was spiritually dead. When you come spiritually alive and you open this up, you're like, whoa! And God illuminates his word in your heart and you see it for the first, you know what I'm talking about? It's so exciting. And you read it and you're blown away. And I remember lives like Joseph. And I was fascinated with guys like Joseph, the integrity with which he, like Potiphar's wife and stuff. And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. Runs away. I'm, oh, man. And then, like, guys like Moses in the, in the midst of all the temptation, the criticism of the Israelites. And the Bible calls Moses the meekest man on earth, the most humble man on earth. And, like, really? How? That's awesome. And guys like Paul in the New Testament and. I count all things as lost compared to surpassing worth of knowing Christ. How does he do that? How does he? Do? Oh, man, the, the life of Christ in him. And then fascinated with guys, of course, like David, too. And you're seeing David. And what I love about all these guys and women in Scripture, they're not perfect men and women. They're real men and women, though. And they are godly men and women. They are passionate men and women. Listen, they are character-driven. Every single one character at the core of who they are in their Lord. Integrity-filled men and women. And so I was fascinated with this as a a young believer, and I remember clinging to an early definition that I heard of integrity. And I I think I heard it from Charles Swindle. I'm not totally sure, but if if it was him, he didn't come up with it the first time. I know that too as well. But this definition I loved of integrity was this. Integrity is really living one life. It's living one, meaning you are who you are, where you are, and no matter how you are, you are living one life. It's the consistency, it's the sincerity, it's the integrity of the individual seeking the Lord. No wonder that in Psalm 78, speaking of David, it says with integrity of heart, David shepherded God's people. This is why Oswald Sanders says, listen to this, the spiritual leader should be a person of unchallengeable morality. The spiritual leader should be a person of unchallengeable morality. Integrity matters to God. It was President Eisenhower many years ago, he said this with deep conviction. With deep, as you listen to this quote, just, just compare it to the current moral landscape of our day. He said this with deep conviction. I deeply believe that every occupant of the White House has one profound duty to the nation, to exert moral leadership. The President of the United States should stand visible and uncompromising for what is right and decent in government, in the business community, in the private lives of the citizens, for decency is one of the main pillars of a sound civilization. And then he ends with this. Any moral nation invites its own ruin. An immoral nation invites its own ruin. And of course, an immoral church invites its own ruin. An immoral marriage invites its own ruin. An immoral life, individual invites its own ruin. That's why integrity, again, so important. It's the details of life. It's the consistency of who we are with Christ in us as we seek to live. So we might sit here today and we're like, man, yeah, our world, man, it's going down the tubes. It seems that way. And we're such a small group of people here. But listen, listen. How does the Lord work through this church? Excuse me, how does God build his kingdom? It's one life at a time, and as each of us make a decision one at a time for the Lord and integrity, that's where the power is lived. This is what God and who God works through. Is it any wonder there how much God cares about integrity, then the Lord would dismiss Saul? Is it any wonder then how much God loves integrity that he would promote David. Because a man after his own heart is a man of integrity. So I love wisdom moments in our church. Wisdom knocks on the door. or Wisdom calls the phones for you. It's wisdom. wisdom don't you love? I love wisdom moments. And the wisdom, he's calling again. Wisdom's calling. And uh, wisdom says, um, listen, hey, hey, phone's for you. Listen up, listen up. Integrity matters to God. So if you're wise, you're like, I gotta, I, gotta, me, I, I gotta take this call. And I take the call and I'm like, man, integrity really, really matters to the Lord. And that's when we know we're going in wisdom. And then we will be to grow in integrity so this is what we examine from david's life today we have our big idea in front of us the main point is clearly laid out we know where we're going we're all on the same page so i want to get started go lord let's do that we're unpacking integrity point number one is this we start here integrity is a relentless battle so it's one of those things man before you walk in make sure you know you're walking into The pursuit of integrity in Christ, it will be a relentless battle. The reality of integrity is not for the spiritually soft. Look at 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 and 2. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, behold, David is in the wilderness of En-Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's Rocks. Now, just in the back, I'm going to mix it up a little bit here. Okay, I want to show the pictures of Engeeti. If we can show the pictures of Engeeti, I just want to let you see kind of uh, where David was. This is the actual place, Engeeti. You can go there today. It probably looks very, very, very much like 3,000 years ago when David was there. Very strategic place to hide for David. Um, in the right spot, you could see for hundreds of miles and see who's coming. There was water in the midst of all these rocks. There was vegetation and great caves that you could hide in for your own protection. So a very smart place. For for David to be and what we learn as David goes to En Gedi in these first two verses we see a massive contrast of integrity between two people of course Saul and David and I wonder if you can see it or if you notice that now think about it previous to chapter 24 of course is chapter 23 and in chapter 23 Saul was chasing David To what? To to hug David. No, no, no. To kill David, right? He wants to kill David. And chapter 23 says that Saul is gaining ground on David and his men. And it says that David's on one side of the mountain, and Saul's on the other side of the mountain, and then Saul's really getting close. And then in the midst of this, as Saul gets really, really close, he's about to overtake David to kill him. All of a sudden, a messenger shows up and tells Saul, Saul, the Philistines are attacking, and Saul's forced to turn around, go back and face the Philistines, and to conquer this land. Now, there's a little tangent right here, but I I just can't resist in showing you because it's so helpful with some life life application, and I want to bless you with that as well. So here's the tangent I want to take. Notice David is in the will of God again. David is simply living a life of integrity, but in God's will, God allows David to be pushed to the brink of, of his own stress, of testing of faith in the Lord. I mean, you're David, and Saul is gaining momentum with, with thousands of men. I mean, you gotta, you gotta be a little bit stressed out fair. And you're like, oh man, am I damned? What's gonna happen right now? And notice this though, in the will of God, God allows David to be pushed to the edge of faith. And the last moment, God comes through, and under his sovereignty, the Philistines attack, and Saul's forced to turn around. So, This happens in David's life perfectly in God's will. Do you not think at times it will happen in your life too? That God might allow you to be pushed to the brink of a testing of your faith, that he might find out what is in your heart, and that he might grow lessons in us that we have yet to learn in our lives because he loves us so much? Again, I just want you to look at this and say, if it happened to David, likely it's going to happen to you and me. Okay? Okay? Just a tangent, but a fun tangent, isn't it? An important tangent. Uh, A beautiful tangent. Sometimes I love tangents. Now, let's leave the tangent, and let's get back to our text now. I want you to see these things as well, okay? The truth that is easily missed here is this, the grace of God upon the life of Saul. Can you see the grace of God in verses 1 and 2 on Saul's life? That was completely taken for granted, okay? Let's recap. Saul is obsessed with killing God's servant, God's king, which is David. Saul is interrupted in his mission for murder by the attack of the Philistines. Saul then leaves. He, we have to assume he leaves and leads God's people to victory, not because of him, but because of the grace of God upon his life. After Saul gets victory over the Philistines, what he does next is he resumes his murderous rampage upon God's man, God's servant, and God's future king. Now, can you see the problem here? The grace of God upon the life of Saul and his leadership, trying to kill God's man, leaves, defends his nation by the grace of God, wins a victory, and instead of being broken and humbled by the grace of God upon his own life and his own leadership, he then resumes his own personal, selfish, vindictive uh, agenda to try to kill David, totally disregarding all the blessing and the grace that he had just received by God himself. Love ones, that's a sign of a heart that is so utterly hard. That is a sign of a heart that has no gratitude whatsoever. And I commend to you today, you watch out that you do not have a Saul-like heart because a Saul-like heart is so hardened to the reality of God's grace upon your own life and you just begin to attack the blessing of others around you. See, this is why gratitude should fill us. This is why gratitude should overwhelm us. This is why thanksgiving in scripture is commanded again and again. Never take for granted the God-given blessing that you have received, and instead you focus on what others have that you don't. So when, watch out, watch out. When you are tempted with jealousy and envy. here's a good question, huh? How much of your time is spent on thinking what others have or who others are or uh, what others are doing? How much of your time is spent ignoring the grace of God upon your own life and you're just concentrating on the blessing of, of other people that you wish you had? See, that's a sign your heart's in a bad place, okay? Um, that's a sign your heart is going towards where Saul was. And remember, this, this literally ended up killing Saul. And in many ways, it will kill us too spiritually, if not other ways. Watch out for that, man. Just again, we start with the recognition of how blessed we are by the grace of Jesus Christ. If you have the reality of the gospel living within you, you have everything you could ever want and need. There is nothing else. The inheritance of Jesus Christ is is the riches of glory. And the more we see that, the more we don't need other things that other people have. But see, Saul was messed up, man. He was messed up. Are we messed up today? God, help us to not be messed up in this way. Now let's switch to David's perspective. Look again at verse 2. Verse 2, it says, Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. Okay, so this is where I want us to see integrity is a battle. It's a battle. At times, we've been tough on David. But today, man, he gets a ton of grace from me. Let's just summarize David's life. He was a nobody. He was a teenage shepherd. He's then anointed as king by Samuel. He's then thrust into immense fame by defeating Goliath. He then goes to live in the palace. He is playing music for the king. He is then hated for no wrongdoing of his own. He has spears thrown at him. He then runs for his life, and his greatest crime was integrity before the Lord. Ever since, he has been relentlessly chased, hiding in caves, running for his life, and clinging to his God. Now David has men around him. People have joined him. But here comes Saul again, seeking to put a sword through David's heart. And Saul is not by himself. Saul, it says in the text, has 3,000 chosen men seeking to take down this one man, David. David has experienced escape after escape. Now he's threatened again. Okay, just put yourselves in the shoes or the sandals of David how exhausted are you? Every day you're waking up and here comes 3,000 men, chosen men now, to hunt me down and kill me. David's whole life is one massive battle. Every day here, trying to do what's right, trying to honor the Lord, wrestling before God, sitting down, writing psalms of incredible beauty and strength in the midst of his difficulty. Loved ones, I want you to see David's life was not easy. David's life was a battle every day he lived for the integrity and the purity before his God. Every true Christian here right now, every genuine Christian knows something of this to be true. Life in Christ is promised to be an ongoing battle. Yeah, we may not have 3,000 men hunting us down today. Thank you, Lord, for that. But each of us, in some way or another, as we live our lives in Jesus Christ, we understand it is a fight, it is a battle. We don't have 3,000 mounting us down. We do have Acts chapter 14, which says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations. We also have the scriptures that say over and over again in different ways, all those who desire to be godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We also know when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, if you're really going to follow him, you will be on the narrow road which its way, the Bible says, is hard. And that's why few find it. Loved ones, we must understand, if we're really going to go for integrity, we must know it's going to be a relentless battle. It just is. A part of me, I don't even like saying that because I don't want it to be true. But man, my life, I just know it to be true. You know, in my life, the, the trials that come in, and then you just, I find myself asking, Lord, can I have a new trial, please? And and I find he does grant that. Like I find like, like the trials change. Like this is David. He has one trial, and then he gets a bit of respite from that and rest and some grace. But then he wakes up and there's a new trial. Lord, can I can have a new trial. And he's like, I'll give you a new trial. He gives you rest, and there's some. You know, there's always grace upon. You, but then and then a new trial enters in. It's just it's just it's just the reality of our life before the Lord, as long as Christ has yet to return. Remember, we like to say around here, align your expectations with what the Bible actually teaches. So when the reality of the Christian life unfolds before you, you won't be surprised. Hey, this is very important. Hey, look right here, look right here, look right here. Ready, ready, ready? If you want the easy life, you don't want the Christian faith. If you want ease, comfort, smooth sailing every day of your life, you don't want the Christian faith explained in the word of God. You simply want a different faith. So you've got to reconcile that. Do you really want the ways of Christ? Because if you want the ways of Christ, you're not asking for the easy road, and you're not asking for the wide road. You have committed yourself by faith to say cost for christ is worth it because i'm not living for what is really now i'm living for what will be david understood this man It was tough on david remember remember some of the greatest psalms were written through david's hardest times and that's why we resonate with them so much because we see ourselves in them and we're so thankful that there's situations that we can relate to in difficulty and in our anguish but there's hope and faith and love through all of that this is how god works some of his greatest things within our lives it's going to be a battle loved ones it's going to be a battle Number two is this, integrity, integrity, a resolve for God's word or a resolve for God's way, resolve for God's way. Look at verse three, it says this, and he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave and Saul went in to relieve himself and David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Amazing. Amazing. And the men of David said to him, Here's the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe, and he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul, and Saul rose up and left the cave and went um, on his way. Now, what a scene this becomes. Saul had to answer the call of nature. And because this was a private thing, Saul goes into the cave, and his men obviously stay outside the cave waiting for Saul. But Saul ha- happens to stroll into the very cave, and these could be very large caves, obviously, that David and his men are hiding within. Notice in verse 3, it says that David is in the innermost parts of the cave these are one of these caves when you first walk it's so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face but if you're in the cave for a while and your eyes get a bit adjusted and you're looking out towards the light of the cave then you can make things out and you can see more clearly and so here's this incredible situation that david's men they see saul come in and they're like david this is it man this is it this is God giving Saul. He's trying to kill you. Kill him. Kill him. This is your lucky day, man. God's grace is upon you. Take the opportunity and kill Saul. Now, now, what are the lessons we learned? They're very important lessons right here for the mature Christian life. From a human perspective, we would all agree with David's men. From a human perspective, like, wow, ah, this is awesome. Here's Saul by himself. Strike him down and all your problems are solved, David. But this would not be the way of the Lord for David, although everything in the circumstance seemed to shout that it was. This is what happens in our life sometimes when we let circumstances speak greater volumes than God's word. And we look at the situations of life and we say, well, it must be this way, even though God's word says something different. And David's men wanted him, I get it, I get it though. It kind of makes sense. But this is when we often will say phrases like this, well, the Lord led me to do that. Well, that was the Lord. The Lord led me to do that. Really? Even though it's contrary to what God says in his word? Do you think God would say something different than what he says in his word? Really? Are you sure about that? Oh, yeah, man. Because look look. Just, just look, look. Look at the situation. There's no question what God wants here. I love what Charles Swindle says. we got to watch out for our rationalization. Chuck Swindle says this, the Lord gets blamed for all sorts of things he has nothing to do with. Isn't that so true? What happens sometimes is we make decisions because we want things to happen in the way that we want them to happen. We make decisions and we slap the God sticker on it and say, see, it's the Lord. Are you sure? Are you sure? It's a really powerful insight here into what David is really up against. Now Saul has been incessantly trying to murder David. So again, killing Saul seemed to be agreeable. But David knew the commandment of the Lord that said, thou shalt not kill especially kill the anointed king of God. One of the things I love here is the integrity of David through his honoring of Saul. I just love it. It's just such an example of, not because Saul deserved it, because David just has such a fear of the Lord and then an honor of those who were above him. What the text tells us in verse four, notice it says, so David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So if you're like me, you're reading the story, okay, so Saul goes in the cave, he's relieving himself, and there's David and his men, and David sneaks up behind him and cuts a corner off his robe. You're just like, how does that happen? I mean, how did he do that without being noticed? Well, the Bible tells us David's got stealth, man. He's, 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 he, David is the original Mission Impossible. you know. <laughs> he goes in, and you know what? I get insight from this. Insight for me is in chapter 26, when, when Saul attacking David again, and David was men, they go and they sneak in the midst of the army. And it says, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon uh, the army. So he's able to go in and steal Saul's uh, spear and to walk out and then call to Saul again. It said, if God wants David to be able to cut off a piece of his robe and not get caught, uh, he's going to allow David to do that. And so this is what's happening. But notice the integrity and the conviction of David. Notice it says, as soon as he cut off the corner of his robe, it says, David's heart struck him. I love, I love, I love the conscience of David. This is where we say, "Well, what's the big deal? Uh, who cares? It's just a corner of the robe. Why, why can't we just relax about this?" Well, here's the lesson of integrity. Here, this is when integrity says and lives. It's this: if it matters to God, it matters to me. Integrity says and lives. If it matters to God, then it matters to me. There's so much here in verses three to seven. I want to summarize this with four principles of application which will be on the screen uh, for you to see. Let's just, let's unpack integrity further here. Notice in these verses, integrity understands and lives, number one, that the end does not justify the means. So just think, if David kills Saul, all of David's problems go away. Goodbye caves, hello palace. Goodbye running for your life, hello sitting on the throne. Goodbye trial, hello triumph. And how we are so tempted by the same because we want the end so bad. We justify the means of how to get there, but integrity does not do that. You know how we look at the church today. The church must be so careful to not equate results with the blessing of God. And by disregarding as the how we get the results doesn't even matter. Integrity knows the end does not justify the means. Uh, Secondly, integrity understands and lives that circumstances must be treated with caution. Again, everything in front of David seemed to say, kill Saul, yet this would not be the way of God. David's circumstances, again, from a human perspective, well, here's Saul, we're going to kill him. In fact, what God was doing was allowing the circumstance to teach David further of patience, of waiting... Of forbearance and of faith in his God. That was the lesson that God wanted to instruct David with. So isn't it fascinating though how we see the circumstances before us and I've heard it a hundred times. The reason we buy a certain house. The reason we make a move in our career. The reason we accumulate more. And I've heard it. We rationalize because we're sensing guilt and we try to appease the guilt by rationalizing these decisions we're making that are really just self-indulgent pursuits and we throw God on top of that and we walk for ministry or it's like, this. and I don't believe there's all these negative intentions, but we say these phrases to, again, to make ourselves feel better and come up with the reason we really want to do that, but the real reason that we're doing this is because we just want to please ourselves. You see, Robbie, how do you know this? Because I've done it too. And we rationalize the circumstances before us, but, but we're learning right here, circumstances must be treated with caution because God's way is not always our way. And David's example for us here is, David saw, he knew what was right when everyone else around him was telling him to do what he should not do, it's integrity. We learn this, integrity understands and lives that the details matter to God. The details matter to God. Again, the cutting off of Saul's robe by David is very instructional, for us because seemingly it's just a corner of the road like who like who cares about that well again i the remarkable conscience of david as soon as he does it he's like that was wrong that was wrong i shouldn't have done it and his heart is struck let me ask you man do you have a sensitive conscience to the things of the lord one of the great ways you know that you're growing in integrity is that you, um, it, it's, it is not that you don't make mistakes, right? Like David made an error here, but as soon as he does it, that was wrong, that was wrong. And you sense the Holy Spirit. You are sensitive to what God's voice is saying to you when you hurt your family member, when you, uh, at work, you do, when you, you just sin. And quickly, quickly, like, no, 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 I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have done that. Are you sensitive to the, to the Spirit of God? And then to you have resolved to make it right. That's a very, very good sign in your life. If that's happening, it's a bad sign if it's, if it's not. Integrity works through this in all sorts of ways. Integrity, a few examples. Integrity understands that when I'm tempted to steal from work, whether big or small, uh, it's still stealing. It's just not yours. Integrity understands that when I cheat in business and I, I cheat the government, it's Well, everyone's doing it. Everyone's doing it, man. Who cares? Take cash. It's no big deal. But You're actually breaking the laws of man and you're breaking the laws of God. And at that point, integrity says, well, I'm going to trust in the Lord as opposed to trusting in myself. And that's what obedience is. It's a step of faith and trusting what God has said is right. Another example is integrity is if you don't have a wheelchair parking pass, don't park in a wheelchair spot. You're like, why do you bring that example up? Well, a couple weeks ago, I was with one of my kids and uh, I was waiting for Jill and the girls to come out from something. And the parking lot was packed. And I was just there for a couple of minutes. And I just wanted to pull in. was going to get out of the car, and I was just going to pull in the car. And there was uh, two kind of wheelchair spots over there. I just pulled in one and just kind of think Jill's going to be here just a second. And my child that was beside me, who will be, remain unnamed again, of course, at this time, he's like, Dad, I don't, I don't think you should, uh, you should do that. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like do what, son? And he's like, oh, you're parking in the wheelchair. But I, I know, I know. I'm here for a couple minutes. I think I see Jill coming right there. And there's a spot beside us that's open. And so someone comes in, they have that. And someone else comes. Look at my rationalization happening, right? And then I say, well, you know, and I can just pull out someone wants to be here. And he's like, yeah, Dad, I just, I just don't think you should do that. And I said, well, you know, someone, I think you should do right now, you know? <laughs> and... Um, you know, I was, I, was just, I, was, I was thinking about that, though, and it's amazing how the integrity of my child was convicting my own heart. Because really, at the end of the day, he's right. I mean, how do you argue that? And I was thinking about that, too. I'm like, wow, like, when you lack integrity in small things, it just can lead to bigger things, can it not? Watch out in your lives, love. Watch out, man. Like, look at your life right now. And when you find little areas getting cut corners and little, ah, no big deal, no big deal, that's when our hearts are more on the path to Saul than they are to David. The details, that's not legalism, okay? I I, I hate legalism. I'm not talking about, well, if I don't park in the wheelchair spot, then God loves me more. No, 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 okay? This is simply doing what's right because of God's grace within my life, and I want to live a life of consistency and authenticity we see here that integrity understands and lives this fourthly that um, God is in charge of justice not me so look at verse 7 it says so David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul and Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way now this is a very powerful point of integrity now notice here David's men um, were arguing. Now, that word persuaded in the Hebrew, it's a strong word of they were debating. So this was like, David, kill Saul. And David's like, no, I don't want to do it. No, 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 David, kill. And guys were gathering around. David, kill him. Do it. Come on, man. This is your chance. And David had to stand up against all his men And he persuaded them in debate and argument. Not only he wasn't going to kill them, but the text says that they would not kill him either. Because David, in his integrity, knew, if God is going to kill Saul, so be it, but it won't be by my sword. And it won't be by your swords either. That's integrity. This is why Hebrews 10, it says, the Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay And a powerful way to live is to know that vengeance belongs to the Lord, not you or me. And to trust him with that, to trust him with that. Integrity is a resolve for God's way. By the way, just before we move on, I wanted to say this. I've been in ministry long enough. I've seen my own heart long enough. The number one reason we fail and suffer in life, the number one reason we fail and suffer in life is because we are resolved to do things our own way, not God's. The number one reason marriages fail is because it's people who refuse to do it the way of God and they're so bent on their own way. The number one reason churches fail is because they're bent on their own way, not God's. I did a wedding yesterday and it's just a blessing to stand before this couple and you're sitting there and you're, you're exhorting them in God's word and you look at them and I, with all my heart and you say, hey, listen, listen. Uh, uh, man, man, woman, If you will choose to make your life about the Lord and you will choose to make your life about the other person, I guarantee you things will go well and I really like your chances in this thing called marriage. Because simply put, the ways of Jesus Christ just work. They just work. Again, wisdom, wisdom, phones for you, wisdom, wisdom. The ways of Jesus Christ just work. When you build your life in selflessness, when you build your life in the honoring of the other person, when you build your life and Jesus Christ is your all, I mean, it's, it's not guaranteed to be easy. It is guaranteed to see the grace and the blessing of God flow through your life. But the number one reason we fail and we unnecessarily suffer is because we are resolved for our own way, not God's. God help us in that. Number three, integrity. Integrity is proven through character. Through character. I just want to read these verses and just point out some things to you right here. Look at verse eight now. Afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul. So just imagine this happening in the text. Imagine Saul leaves. He, he goes a fair distance away, probably down so that he's away from David and there's some safety in space there. Saul, my lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. Notice the respect of David here. Notice how honoring David is in this. David has so much character in the respect that he gives. Um, growing up, my parents, my parents hammered into me, respect your elders. I'm not talking like just church elders. I'm talking about teachers and, and their friends and anyone really older than me hammered into me. Treat them with respect. Listen to them. Look them in the eyes. Honor them. Never, ever talk back, Robbie. Always be honoring of them. Respect their position of authority. And how important that is. So, A huge part of character is the respect we give to people in our lives, especially those who are in authority over us or those who are in an elder, again, just older, elder position in our lives. And you think about our day, how much that's been lost. I remember just walking through a community center last week, and I saw this female police officer with all these teenage kids. I don't know exactly what's going on, man. These kids were laughing and joking and just kind of, it seemed like just like almost mocking this situation. I'm just like, I don't know what's really happening. I walked by, and I said, that's just wrong, man. I had a police officer come near me when I was a kid. Man, I'd be terrified out of my boots, you know. And we just think of this, and the character is seen through respect. David David does that here. Notice the text goes in verse 9. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Notice David doesn't blame Saul. He's like, Why are you listening to those guys telling you these things? And more respect from David's life. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. Notice character here through mercy. Mercy. See, the mercy of David, he's so filled with fear of God, it's the mercy of God that fills his life. He said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. So much character here in David's life. And then notice in verse 11, David says, see my father? Now that's interesting. He calls Saul his father. Why? Well, David was the son-in-law of Saul. Remember that? So with more respect and more honor, see my father? See the corner of your robe in my hand? For the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see there is no wrong or treason in my hands. You know how powerful it is? David here is filled with such integrity. That's another part of his character. It's the whole message, but notice. He's like, hey, Saul, there's no treason in my hands. I could have killed you. I didn't. How how wonderful it is to live with a clear conscience. Some of us in this room right now, we don't have that clear conscience. And in fact, as some things are said, even in this message, you're kind of figuratively but also physically kind of looking around going, oh man, I hope I don't get caught. I hope I don't get caught. That's a terrible way to live. Oh, it's awful. Had enough experience of it to say, I hate it so much. It's awful. But to live with a clear conscience, David had that, man. David had that, the integrity. He says, I've not sinned against you. Isn't that amazing? That you can, on all honesty, with integrity and self-awareness, look into a situation and say, I have not sinned against you. And if you have sinned, to say, I have sinned against you, please forgive me. That's a powerful way to live. That's seen through character. He says, I've not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Look at verse 12. He says, may the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. Verse 13, as the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked come wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. Notice here, David's saying, My character is seen through my goodness. You come at me to kill me, I repay you, the evil you have, with goodness. I repay evil with good. Such a sign of integrity within our lives. And David says, he says, the proverb says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. He's like, Saul, man, if I was really wicked like you think I was, you'd be dead by now. But he says, I'm not. I'm trying to serve my God. And with integrity, he says, "There's there's goodness seen. Character has goodness, and then character has humility." Look at verse fourteen. After whom has the king of Israel come out? He's still talking to Saul. After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? No, this isn't false humility. This is David talking about himself. And I'm telling you, if we could relate to one another like this, that would solve so many problems. We could say, "I'm a dead dog." I'm a flea? I'm telling you, like, I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's kind of true. You give me a marriage of two people, they're like, I'm a dead dog, I'm a flea. And the person, no, 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 I'm a dead dog. I'm a flea. Like, I, I like what's going to happen there because the Bible says, outdo one another with showing honor. You have leaders within the church. I'm a dead dog. No, I'm a flea. I'm a dead dog. I'm a flea. I don't know what Stop. And he says, but you mean it? Like, you mean it? Because what does the Bible say? Consider others more significant than yourselves. What does the Bible say? Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. What does the Bible say? I must decrease. He must increase. I'm a dead dog. I'm a flea. That's a great little, you can take that home with you today and practice it in your, in your home. It might be fun. I don't know. All right? But if you mean it, it's powerful. A true self-assessment of I can't believe I'm even here. I can't believe I'm even in the game. True humility, it goes so far. You know, that's why we try to hire humility at this church more than anything else because humility just solves so many problems by themselves. You give me a humble man or woman of God, and they will self-correct before someone needs to correct them. The character of David. And finally, I just, I wrote this down on his character. Still in point three, he's a character through love. Character through love. David's pleading for reconciliation. Verse 15, may the Lord therefore judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. He, he, he wants reconciliation. Yes, he is being attacked with hatred and evil, but he responds with love. So David here, notice, in the face of evil, David loves. David indeed is a type of Christ. He is not Christ, but he is a foreshadow of Christ, a life filled with integrity. Sam Storms has this quote on integrity I want you to see here. I really like it. Integrity, this is a good summary. Integrity does not mean sinless, but it does describe people who by God's grace sin less. Yes, that's good. So integrity doesn't mean we don't sin. It's not sinless. But here's the key. Again, it describes people by the grace of God. It's Christ in us, loved ones. It's Christ in us. We're going to see that in a little bit too. It's people who sin less because of Christ in them. Integrity is a relentless battle. It is a resolve for God's way. It is proven through character. And finally, this. Integrity number four integrity will be something that will impact other people. Integrity will impact other people. Now, integrity will not necessarily be contagious. It can be. It can be for sure. But not everyone's going to love our integrity. But listen, it will be this. It will be convicting. Verse 16. Look at verse 16. Again, live in the text. Imagine this happening. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good where I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord... Look, at he knows it's the Lord. When the Lord put me into your hands, for if a man finds his enemy, will let him go away safe? So I was like, I wouldn't do that. So may the Lord reward you for good what you have done to me this day. Verse 20, and now behold, I know that you shall surely be king. And the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, verse 21, swear to me you won't kill my family then. I I honestly in some ways feel so bad for Saul. Notice Saul in this situation. The integrity of David now strikes Saul's heart. David comes out, he's like, or Saul comes out, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to kill you. And then David heaps like uh, coals of burning coals on top of Saul's head through his righteousness as integrity and Saul just breaks down in the midst of it and Saul lifts up his voice and he weeps it says you know what we're seeing here we're seeing a glimmer of the man Saul was meant to be we're also seeing watching Saul's life and Saul we see a he's tormented within there's a conflict he knows what's right He knows the truth, but his heart is so hard, he won't fully get broken and actually be transformed. He sees the goodness of David, it breaks him, and he's like, oh, you should be king, and he's crying, and he's like, you're more righteous than I, and I know God's hands upon you, and you've done good to me, and he's devastated to the point he leaves and doesn't pursue David in this stage, but what we know is he's not truly changed because two chapters later, he resumes his attack and wants to murder David. David again. David was a, Saul was a conflicted, tormented man. He understood he had sin in his life. He needed to get resolved, but he would not let God fully in. And that's the devastation of Saul's life. In the end, it killed him. And Saul now is in a horrible place. There are Saul's here today. There are Saul's here in this room right now. And you are conflicted and you are tormented in your sin you've had moments of brokenness you've had moments of verbal repentance you even may have come to the front of the church at times and shed tears on the carpet but the reality is there has been a worldly sorrow not a godly sorrow why was saul most upset because his life was not turning out the way he wanted it to be the missing piece of saul corinthians explains worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow Worldly sorrow is, I'm sad my life stinks. Godly sorrow is, I have sinned against the Lord Almighty. And there's a massive difference. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sad I cry because my life isn't what I thought it would be. Godly sorrow is, my sin has offended you, O Lord. I need to get right with you, God, not God. You be a genie and fix my life so I can live it in the way I want it to be. Saul had worldly sorrow. He never got to godly sorrow. He never truly repented and broke down and let God fully in. And he was so conflicted then. And some some are here right now, and you are in the same spot. You've been so close of bending the knee and confessing with your tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. So close at times to truly laying it down and surrendering everything. But it's never fully happened. And so therefore, you have never truly changed. And unless you, unless you give up once and for all and understand your sin has been against the Lord himself, then you will continue to be tormented and conflicted and wrestling with all that's with inside and lack peace and fill with stress and anxiety and ultimate misery because you've never fully given in to Jesus Christ being the Lord of your life. I mean, how serious is what I just said? How, how serious is that? Do we move on in hurry from like, kidding me? I mean, if that is you right now, I pray you would know it, and I pray you would run as fast as you can to Jesus Christ who has opened arms for you and will pour grace upon your life in love and mercy in a way that you've never fully known. But this will take all of your pride to be destroyed and all of the grace of God to produce humility within you that you can truly have integrity in your life. I feel so bad for Saul, so close and yet so far away. We see here, though, notice the impact of David's integrity, David's self-restraint, David's patience, David's love. It had such an impact upon the lives that were around him. I just want you to notice this, too. I want you to notice David's... um, the patience, the self control, and the love are all fruits of God's Spirit, of course. So, a man or woman after God's own heart, filled with integrity, rooted in God's Spirit, having the fruit of God's Spirit, all rooted in the Lord. It's all tied together. But it's all tied together. You pursue the Lord, you love the Lord, and God's will starts to flow down your life. Here's an illustration that I've used before, and I want you to see. I want you all to see this, okay? So, here's a pyramid of glasses. Uh, Seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is the top glass, okay? If you've ever seen those pyramid of champagne glasses, they fill the top glass, it overflows, it fills this row, they keep flowing in, and second, third, fourth row, all the whole pyramid gets filled. If this is our life right here, Jesus Christ is the top glass. What we do so often is we want to fill sections of our lives. We're like, hey, make my work. Make my my family good. I want to have a good little piece over here, whatever. But if you fail to fill your top glass with Jesus Christ, then you are missing portions of your life. When you seek first the kingdom, when you understand Jesus Christ, love God, heart, soul, mind, strength, set your mind on things above, Colossians 3. When Jesus Christ is your top glass and you seek him and you fill your life with him, you wake up, you call upon him, you pray to him, you get the work. And this is why I say this all the time because this is how to live life. This is the secret to life, which isn't supposed to be a secret. Jesus Christ is everything. You fill your life with him as much as you possibly can, and what inevitably happens, he overflows into family and work and future and over- everything in your life, he overflows in thought, word, and deed, and nothing is left unimpacted by the thoughts and the word and the blessing of Jesus Christ upon your life. But you must start here. If you do not fill your top glass with Jesus Christ, inevitably you will miss out in areas of your life. It seems so simple. In some ways, it really is simple. It's difficult, but it's so beautiful. This is what integrity understands. This was a man after God's own heart. Fill my top glass, Lord, and then you lead me from there because, man, I don't know what's going on, but I believe that you will lead me and you will show me as I am resolved to see my life filled with you. And, loved ones, that's why... As we take this message right now, we understand. This is the secret to everything we're trying to do. The fa- A fail from this message today is to walk out of here and say, okay, integrity, I'm going to try harder tomorrow. I'm going to be more filled with integrity. I'm going to do it. No, no, you won't do it. No, no, you'll last for a couple of minutes, and then you'll be, I'll probably trip over you as I'm walking out of the church, right? you could be lying in the sidebar going, eh, like that, okay? But as you understand, I get as low as I possibly can, and I want to fill my life through repentance to Jesus Christ and the love of God, and oh, Lord Jesus Christ, I need you to be me. It's not us living for christ as we heard beautifully recently it's christ's life in us and then that comes through us and there's a massive difference his strength his glory his passion his love his heart this is why we must abide in him and then we see integrity and that's why today then what a wonderful way to do that for where you are and where i am and some of us fill with integrity some of us lacking that right now but all of us in need of jesus christ